welcome back to Tab U. My name's Katrina, joined today again by the lovely Nick Russell. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Always happy to be here. Welcome. And our very special guest, Darren Burney, who I believe is an investment and developer principal. Can you please give a little intro to yourself, what you do, where you come from, and how are you our property expert today? Hi, um, my name's Darren Burney. I've um, been developing property um, coming up to 40 years now, so it's um, quite a long career. Um, my background is that I started as an estate agent um, in the London Docklands many years ago, and um, from there I moved across into the actual development world, and um, um, really, yeah, it's been an interesting 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we'll cover some of that off today then. Sure. Uh, Topic today is going to be on building a diverse property portfolio, and we will kick things off with question number one, which quite simply is, what does it mean to have a diverse property portfolio? A diverse portfolio means that um, you're, you're investing in sort of different asset classes in property. So uh, residential could be one sector, uh, offices, um, industrial, um, roadside retail. It, it's basically a spread of I suppose, risk um, if you're building up a property portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, in the, in the main. In the main. Yeah. In the main. In the main. In the main. And I guess, how do you build a... Oh, actually, that's question number two, so I won't quickly dive into that one. But when you're looking at building a diverse property portfolio and you're looking at the different asset classes, where do you start? start in an area that you feel most comfortable um my own background was that i started to invest in buy to let properties um back in the 1980s um it was a market i knew well coming from an estate agency background but as time uh, moved on i felt there'll be better returns in commercial property nice and where are the returns now I can only speak, uh, you know, from personal experience. Um, my main sector now, and something I've been concentrating on the last seven, eight years, is roadside retail, and that's um, a, it's a booming market at the moment, um, showing no signs of a slow up. Purely because you've got so many entrants into that sector. It's not just the likes of the McDonald's, KFC, Starbucks, Costas. There are so many new entrants like Tim Hortons. Uh, Greg's are now rolling out drive-throughs, so it's a strong sector. Um, it's also food, and I suppose looking at it simplistically, um, everybody's got to eat. So <laughs> even in recessionary times, um, you know people do cut their cloth accordingly, and you, what you find is that the the drive-through sectors and the, um, the the sort of cheaper food options um, actually are recessionary proof and increase in turnover. Can I just jump in? So, obviously, I have a little, little knowledge and experience working and talking to you about these over the years. The beauty for you with these, from my understanding, is the modular build side of things. So, you could put a spade in. What is the time scale for you for spade in the ground to operational? Because that's quite key, right? Because you're not spending a year, two years building these things, then hoping to get the income and the lease in place. Yeah, I think um, planning's still an issue. Planning's taking um, forever. Um, with no real signs of improving. But once you've got a planning consent, I mean, we try and discharge all the pre-commencement conditions very quickly and 
we generally like to be on site within a month. Um, typical build uh, in modular form. Um, we'd be looking to finish within four months and, um, and on site. Yeah. So it's a very quick churn. Yeah, so it means you can do more and get start you know, receiving income much quicker. It means you can start recycling through more. Yeah, I mean, it's got. I, mean, I suppose the downside is that because um, your build program's four months, um, you're not really going to have time to um, to try and get bank funding in place because, again, the time the bank appoints a monitoring surveyor, etc., you've more or less completed the site. So, um, some instances you're cash funding development, but yeah, it allows us to do two, three, four drive-throughs at a time and various sites. Where out of interest are kind of where's the drive-through best places that kind of on in your service stations on a motorway or just I don't know the only drive-through I go to hmm, guilty uh, is <laughs> the McDonald's on an industrial estate at home. Um, the drive-through, I mean, re- it relies typically on about twenty thousand uh, vehicles uh, throughput per day. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, high volume. Um, yeah. That's what the, the target um, audience is. Uh, main A roads. I mean, we, we don't... Obviously, you have drive-throughs on service stations, but it, interestingly, the service stations are mainly the small Costa or Starbucks kiosks. Mm. Um, a typical drive-through, uh, you'd need about half an acre of land um, because you're building a drive-through in 26 car park spaces. Um we, as a company, we don't do much in London, uh, and the reason being is that um, the the residential values outweigh drive-throughs. So we're sort of we don't waste a lot of time mm. trying to bid with uh, residential buyers. Mm. Um, our portfolio is spread all over the country in areas like um, Suffolk, um, East, uh, Norfolk, uh, the Midlands, Northwest, Northeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So you get certain areas like retail parks or supermarkets you know i mean obviously they get high footfall in some of those places and lots of people coming through yeah in the drive-through sector i mean we've we've done lots of developments um with um aldi with sainsbury's tesco's um they're selling off some of their surplus lands because again their their models changed um you know gone are the the days where you need these huge sort of hypermarkets um they're looking at sort of smaller store concepts mm. and of course with the larger estates comes a lot of land, a lot of car parking. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've all been actively selling off some of their surplus lands. But but equally, they like to see um, a drive-through operator or uh, another use that complements the stores. But um, yeah, we've d- we've done a number of um, um, sort of infill land and retail parks and, and supermarkets. Yeah. Do you think the supermarkets in time will? Ha- you know, so we've gone from having giant supermarkets. Do you think over time to smaller ones, do you think there's a time in the future where we go back to the giant supermarkets and then they'll be back dry and buying all your drive throughs again? My personal view <laughs> is um, no, because at the moment, internet shopping and, oh, uh, of I mean, it's taking, well, I don't know what the, the stats are, but I'd imagine you've got to be looking at 30, 40% online shopping. So why would you actually need to pay, um, to, you know, have such big floor spaces? Yeah. Um, I mean, and again, even if you look at retailers now, they're taking much smaller spaces because their their stock is held off-site mm. where they could actually deliver much quicker and save paying sort of prime retail. I mean, I was only driving down the M1 yesterday back from Birmingham. The size of the big boxes now that are these distribution... Mm. I mean, there's a little distribution centre, I think, just before Luton mm. uh, as, you come, as you come south. I mean, it must be over a million square feet, that building. Mm. I mean, 
yeah. so they can, and they've got what 200 lorry ports why do they need to have these giant stores they can just keep distributing delivering smaller stores more stores and get their stuff out yeah i mean re retail's changed in the last five to ten years beyond all recognition and um you know the retailers are now attuned to online sales um same as look at the you know you mentioned about a large space look, look at the amazon fulfillment centers i mean mm. you're standing on one end of one you can't actually see where the other <laughs> end no. finishes they're so fast and you'd want a golf buggy just to get yourself around <laughs> yeah um, and it, it's interesting because again uh, for deliveries you've actually um, you know other retailers supplying um, amazon have to book in space months in advance i believe um, and if you miss your slot you're um well you're buggered yeah, yeah. yeah. fair enough <laughs> fair enough yeah. You I think your P45's on the desk, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on to question number two, briefly touched on it, but how can I build a diverse property portfolio? Um, well, my I can only speak from past my past experience. As I said, I started off as an estate agent in London Docklands, um, so I came with a residential background. Um, but then I, I was looking at other sort of asset classes, and I... I dipped my toe into the water and bought a couple of petrol filling station sites that were made redundant. And on one of them, I, I was successful in getting planning consent for residential. Um, and on the other, um, a commercial. Um, in fact, I, I developed a co-op store many years yeah. ago. So that was my first sort of dip into the commercial um, market. Um, as time's gone on, I mean, I've, I've tried to sort of uh, stay with a sector that I've um, sort of feel comfortable with. Um, I personally, I, I like to sort of buy or develop smaller estates. Um, you know, if you make a mistake on a, a smaller purchase, um, you can generally sort of rectify it. Won't um, won't sort of set you back too much. If obviously you've got a, a massive development with only one sort of angle and one one mm. way to sort of you know develop that out, and that mm. doesn't go to plan. Um, then you've got a major issue because, um, as I said, you, it, it tends to sort of weigh down the whole portfolio. So there's alternative uses uh, when you're looking at uh, developing something. So if something doesn't work, you've always got maybe a second idea of what could work just in case the first idea didn't. I mean, just having, as you said. Yeah, I mean, th and that's one of the reasons why I moved into commercial. And when, you've got, when you're a residential developer, um, you're reliant on the, where the market is. Mm -hmm. So... You know, and timing, because if suddenly the market changes, interest rates go up, and you're getting near to finishing a development, mm. um, prices Sounds go down. Sounds fairly apt for <laughs> yeah. And there's no, you know, the, the options there are, you know, if the market changes, you either rent the properties mm. or sit there waiting for buyers. But there's no, really, no other play there. Um, and the cost of debt starts killing you over time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Ca cash, you know, c cash flow can kill you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another factor. What we've always tried to do is um, be mindful that the market can change and take, um, you know, take um, or be opportunistic when that market, um, you know, does change. And it's interesting, though, because, as I said, my specialist sector, roadside retail at the moment, is probably one of the few sectors that is, is still booming. Um, and it's frustrating because, you know, we're sitting there with a cash pile waiting to buy sites to develop. Um, but don't see a huge amount of value at the moment. Mm. And do you value cash flow over capital growth or vice versa or equal? I would personally, I would say cash flow. Um, you know, how many people have gone bust sitting on some wonderful assets 
but a cash They can't poor. extract their, uh, their uh, equity. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and when I was a very young boy, my uncle told me, um, uh, or he made me keep repeating a sentence, which was cash is king. Mm. Um, and, and again, I, I also have been through two recessions so far, um, and I learned the hard way. Yeah. And um, it puts you in good stead, and as you get a bit older and wiser, um, you try to um, learn from your mistakes. So, Well, on those mistakes, I think it's important for people listening to know, what what didn't you see and didn't you do that you wish you had done maybe with some of those mistakes and maybe some of those recessions that you didn't maybe cover off and you learned through, obviously, the difficult times and experience that you could give advice on? Um, interesting question. Mm. Um, when I look back, um, probably I didn't see... Um, or, or I didn't sort of see the market changing as quickly as it can do. Um, this current economic climate, it's, um, it's an interesting one because, again, we were sport but for so many years with very low interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, even now, when base is at four and a half, it, it's not hugely expensive money. Um, but, again... Um, you know, some deals will work, some won't. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate because I've got to a stage where we don't have to keep buying um, and keep developing. We could we could just shut shop and concentrate and manage the portfolio that we have, and we'd be quite nicely positioned. And and as I said, if if an opportunity comes up, then that's fine. Um, I suppose going back in time, uh, I was probably guilty of over trading, probably over committing too much, over leveraging. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, when you're young, you don't envisage. You know, if your if your gearing is sort of seventy five, eighty percent, you probably don't feel the market could come down twenty five, thirty percent, meaning you're underwater. Yeah, you're over leveraged. Um, but you you learn from experience. I mean, now across the board, we're our overall gearing is about fifty two percent, which is probably not a bad position to be no, in at the good. moment. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, even if it came down a little bit, you'd still be able to probably refinance those banks if you hit any uh, sort of. Um, trigger points in your clauses regarding loan to value covenants or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the other thing is we, I mean, w- we stress test our own portfolio. Um, so about two years ago, we um, we decided to sort of look at if twenty percent of our <laughs> tenants defaulted, um, right. and we sort of worked out can we sort of manage things, and we built sort of built around that factor. Fortunately, at the moment, I don't have one rent arrears, which is quite unique. Mm. But yeah. That um, is, yeah. But as I said, we're in a sector where um, you know, it, we're mainly weighted in drive-throughs, roadside retail. Um, we've been doing a few hotels for travel lodge recently. Um, and again, the, the hotel market, um, the budget market in the hotels, it's, it's a good sector to be in. Um, right. You know, people do still have to travel, still go on business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're comfortable in the budget hotel market. Um, we've got long-term leases in place there. Um, if I was sitting with management agreements and five-star or four-star hotels, I'd probably feel a bit nervous in the current environment. But again, it's just deciding sort of is the risk adequate. And um, yeah, we're in a mm. quite a nice, comfortable position. Good to hear. Is there, are you self-taught? You started as an estate agent and then sort of built your portfolio up from there. What do you need to know, or what do you wish you knew when you were younger, or what do you know now? I was self-taught. Um, I joined my father's estate agency. Um, I was always very entrepreneurial, 
and um, after working there for a couple of years, I kind of got the appetite to go <laughs> off and do my own developments. And um, the father and son dream was uh, over. Absolutely, <laughs> making some more money. Um, and again, I wanted to challenge myself and um, and develop. Basically, I mean, er everything we we build and develop, we keep for our own portfolio. So I take a lot of pride and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. um, I was quite good in Monopoly when I was a kid <laughs> as well. So that, um, and I got an appetite for the little green and the red um, <laughs> <laughs> hotels and houses. Um, now you play for real. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but again, we. I mean, when I go to see a site when it's finished, I take a, a lot of pride and satisfaction. And um, for someone who sells taught, I mean, we, we just completed a 100-bed hotel in Ipswich Town Centre for Travel Lodge. Mm. Handed that over Friday, and it's um, it, it's a great feeling, um, you know, when you've got a family business and to sort of look at your your hotel in front of you and know that you've developed that, and um, yeah, whether it's a and legacy. it was acceptable, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, um, yeah, and it's it's a nice legacy, really. Yeah, so, yeah. Cool. Um, we'll move on to question three, three, three. Question three. Uh, what are the benefits of having a diverse property portfolio? Um spread of risk really mm. um i mean what you generally find is if you've got a wide spread some sectors um go down some some you know stay the same or rise um it's just about spreading the risk and not putting your eggs in one basket good and what are the challenges associated with building a diverse property portfolio um well if you're i suppose if you're building a portfolio um the difference now and then maybe 15, 20 years ago when I started is that now you're probably having to put in 30 to 40% equity on every deal. Banks don't like to be um, um, sort of o over leveraged. So you're probably looking, well, in the current market, 50 to 60% gearing is what you get. That means you've got to find a lot of equity. So it's a difficult time mm -hmm. to build build a portfolio. Mm. Um, when I started buying buy-to-let properties, you could generally get, 80 to 95 percent funding so and again on a rising market um mm. you've got equity in a property you can then quickly refinance draw out equity and then buy more property and that's how i sort of started to build up my residential portfolio but i think it's a lot more challenging now because of um the the banking crisis and collapse a few years ago and um a new banking laws where mm -hmm. banks just can't um overextend themselves on the loans yeah, I mean, also the low yielding nature of particularly southeast property, right? Southeast England property means that you can't borrow much anyway, because each property now has to be has to be effectively self sufficient in supporting the loan. Yeah. So you'd be lucky if you got sixty percent on residential right now in some areas of London, and you you might only get 30, 40, 45 percent, especially as rate rises have gone up. Yeah. I mean, stress testing's gone up, but realistically, yields haven't changed, and probably the property prices haven't come down enough to warrant you borrowing more money. So it's it's difficult i mean your net return is going to be really low yeah um if i mean the only way you, you'd probably invest in property is if you see real capital growth and in the, this current market with you know interest rates being what they are i don't personally i don't think you'll see the capital growth there so um but but you know london's a very resilient city and mm -hmm. there's so much development going on and i drive around and look up at all the new developments and yet mm. You know, from what I see, they're all they're finding buyers. They're still being sold. Um, yeah. It's incredible, and I, I don't see prices really c have come down at all. Um, maybe marginally, but London, as I said, it's a main, one of the main cities you know in the world, along with New York, and prices remain high. Mm. 
How did you find the um, transition from residential to commercial? Because obviously that is a it is a big difference for some people and understanding commercial leases and different types. How did you find that jump? Obviously you said you're self-taught. So mm. learning that on the job, did you take advice from others? Did you just sort of take the plunge? Um, I took advice from lots of friends already in the commercial market. Um, but it's it's I think it's, we were talking about earlier, it, it gives you different options if if uh, you know you buy something if something doesn't quite quite go to plan if you don't get you know the, the specific planning you require that you can, you can vary that so um and again real value is you know if you do a rent review and you get a very big uplift um the added value on that property could be enormous mm -hmm. so um for me i just i was a lot more excited by commercial property really yeah i mean not I've so still dry yeah, not so dry. I mean, I've still got my residential um, mm, yep. portfolio. I mean, that's, you know, again, I would say to anybody, uh, if you're building up a residential portfolio, you treat it as a medium to long-term play. Don't don't view it as a short-term play. Um, and, and again, don't panic. You know, if you look at it as a medium to long-term play, the markets will go up, the markets will come down. Mm. Um, you know, I always viewed the, the residential side as a bit of a pension for me. Um, but again, I've still got the original portfolio that I built up nearly 30 years ago and it mm. produces good income um to the point where it, it stood me in well it, it stood me in a, a good position <laughs> because when the market turned and the banking collapsed fortunately um what happens in recession is rents do go up yeah um and again it gave me sort of a, a monthly cash flow which could fund and carry on all the commercial developments that i committed to at the time so so residential for me was a bit of a saviour <laughs> okay. um, a few years ago. Is there yeah. a project that you're most proud of that you go you drive if you ever drive past it or like there she is. There she is. <laughs> oh, <he. laughs> um well the the hundred bed hotel was the largest hotel um that I've done to date for Travel Lodge. I got a lot of satisfaction from that. But um I I guess it's, it, I mean <laughs> I, every development I go to, um you know, I can't wait to it to be finished. I, you know, I get my quantity surveyor to send me photos every month if I can't get up to site myself. And um, I just, you know, it, it's I've still got the same sort of appetite as I did 30 years ago to finish a scheme. And um, yeah, just love, you know. I suppose I, I love every <laughs> one of my properties. I know most of the drive-throughs look identical, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I get a lot of satisfaction of actually, you know, seeing a project from start to finish and then. Uh, that lasts about a day because I'm yep. off to the next one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, actually, to answer your question, and along with it, I've just finished the most beautiful pub, converted pub in a place called Glatwell in Derbyshire. Uh, we converted it to a Starbucks, and the building absolutely looks stunning. So okay. if any sure. listener goes past the... Uh, a Starbucks in on the road called the Hill in Glatwell, Derbyshire. <laughs> in for a treat. <laughs> we'll go next week. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think it's about right. Only fair we take a You've been involved in the, uh, uh, Boston. There, mm. You got involved with the football club. Was that an interesting one? You helped with some yeah. of the infrastructure there? Yeah, we, we didn't. I mean, what happened is we I, I viewed the site um, at the time. Um, I met with the developers, Chestnut Homes, who were doing all the residential um but they had a number of commercial plots and they explained to me that in time they would relocate Boston United's football ground uh, to opposite the commercial plots um, because Chestnut Homes owners also own the football club. Um, 
but it was fields at the time and there wasn't much going on <laughs> but I, I just like I've done for many years trusted my gut instinct and had a good feeling about the site and we um, we bought five commercial plots which we've all have all since been developed um, we built a 56 bedroom travel lodge initially um, we built a Burger King a Starbucks a Costa a Greg's <laughs> so it's probably transformed that area of uh, which is uh, quite, always quite a nice thing to see as well yeah absolutely I mean Boston is a it, it's an interesting place because you know going back many years ago you had a lot of the like the Polish immigrants who were doing farm picking where they've made good successful lives and they built the town up it's one of the sort of probably the economically um, sort of one of the fastest growing places in the country um, again the plots that I bought that where there's it's along the A16, which is the gateway road into the town. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's proved successful. I mean, the other interesting thing is when we were building the commercial plots, um, the contractors we were using were having to stay miles away, so we knew <laughs> that there was a real undersupply of hotels. Right, okay. Um, as I said, we built a 56-bed travel Skegness lodge. is only up the road. Because, uh, well, that's uh, one of our next projects. <laughs> oh, so yeah, there you go. You redeveloping Butlins. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but since we built the hotel, I mean, they're travel lodge have been running in sort of 90 something percent occupancy so we're actually about two weeks away from finishing a 20 bedroom extension on site mm. um which will take it up to 76 beds but again um got to know the local authority east Lindsay district council and uh, skegness is also in their remit and they wanted to see a travel lodge developed in town and um i've ended up buying the site from the council and um been successful in securing an 80 bedroom hotel consent with a drive through brilliant so that's a project um, that we'll be hopefully bringing forward later on this year or beginning of 24 well, got to be in it to win it i suppose <laughs> yeah. well i must say though that east lindsay council is is a really sort of positive council they they're one of the few where they actually appreciate the investment coming in right. i mean so many times you know we 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 speak to councils but they don't they lose sight of the investment and the, you know, and again, when you're building a hotel and the, the customers it brings into the hotel, the secondary spend that falls, mm -hmm, sort of, mm -hmm. you know, into the sort of surrounding properties and businesses is quite significant. Yeah. Um, but yet sometimes you don't feel, feel appreciated by certain councils, whereas East Lindsay, you, <laughs> you're a property <laughs> developer, you're never appreciated. No, I, know, I know that. I know that. So moving on to question four, which is what type of property should I consider including in my diverse property portfolio? We've briefly touched on it, but resi, commercial, travel lodges, drive-throughs. It's a difficult question because everybody's own financial position will be different. Um, you know, some people will be purely looking to buy one or two properties just as a pension play, residential. You know, probably a good fit for somebody. I mean, commercial, um, I would say I would avoid the high street personally because I think retail high street has changed forever. I don't quite know how how local authorities are going to bring back sort of, mm. you know, the high street to make it, you know, a good spread of... Even a of shop with things. uppers? So they've got maybe some resi above and a shop below? Or would it be subject to the tenant that you've got in the shop below? Well, the well again, it's is subject to the tenant. If you've got a a cost of coffee as your tenant then you know you've got to have something like a six percent yielding investment um but if you've got the i don't know a barber shop or yeah, uh, or local you know, dog groomer yeah <laughs> it's you know it's, it's yeah it's, it's difficult because again 
you know, a lot of the leases might have eight, ten years to run. Um, at the end of that period, will those occupiers want to stay there or will they want to surrender? If you've got a good covenant that surrenders, then the value will go down enormously. Um, well, so I suppose it depends where, right? If it's a barber that but it's the only barber in town, then you've probably got a good chance it might stay. But if it's a barber and there's seven on the high street and it's like maybe a London borough, you just don't know how long they've got to last. But no. also rents are rising so much, how do these small businesses keep there anyway? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally, I fear for the high, high street retail because, you know, every year, internet shopping, you know, the... Mm look at the stats they just keep rising and rising and, and the difference in internet shopping um I, I use my my wife as the example here because a few years ago she'd like to go to clothes stores try on something because she couldn't return it online well now you can return everything online mm. at no additional cost in fact mm -hmm. amazon prime allows you to to buy several sizes and then you decide what you're keeping and return before they even charge you so it you know, it's changed retail beyond recognition. Um, I, I would be careful. I mean, uh, you know, when you look at the auction sites, I mean, you, you still get people, you know, who haven't got really got property experience buying and paying a lot of money for property because they, you know, they, they look at the covenant, they think that's quite a good return, mm. but they're not thinking ahead of what happens if that tenant decides that they're going to surrender or, or it comes to the end of the term and they just don't want to return, you know, yeah. don't stay on. Um, so it's a really difficult question for me because uh, you know how can you advise somebody where they're mm -hmm. thinking you know i should be buying commercial i should be buying residential it's broad um, it is broad i mean i i would say stick to a local property i mean doesn't make sense why you'd want something at the other end of the country uh, again when i was building up my residential portfolio it was all east london essex based purely for if anything went wrong maintenance wise or you know, just needed to inspect mm -hmm. or keep an eye on them. It was only within a half an hour, 45 minute drive. Mm. Um, you know, now it's different because we've got commercial properties up and down the country, but equally we've, we employ contractors at all different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. So we're fully equipped to, um, you know, to respond um, and, and visit the properties regularly. And do you manage your, yourself manage your entire portfolio or do you have managing agents? We, we manage everything um, in-house. Um, there's a few properties with multi-tenants that we, we let managing agents run mm -hmm. um, who are better equipped. Um, but yeah, generally, I mean, in terms of all the residential, everything's done in-house. Okay. Yeah. Do you just invest in UK or would you touch abroad? I, I've invested abroad uh, over the years, but now, um, oh, you know, I'm 58 years old, <laughs> I don't, you know. I've gone past the point of wanting to spread in different countries. I just want to um, carry on developing yeah. and um, until I get to a time when my daughters sort of want to drive me out of the company. And, uh, <laughs> and the father-daughter <laughs> dream is over. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, no, I, as I said, I no plans to step down. I still <laughs> go in, into work each day. And um, thing with properties, you, you never know what, what the next day, what, what, what the day, how it evolves and what opportunities land. Mm. Um, so moving on to question number five, final question. Uh, what, well, question is what strategies or approaches can I use to diversify my portfolio? But maybe now having spoken to you, did you apply any strategy or, or, or yeah? I, well, my own strategy, um, and again, a different part of my life, we had a, a large opportunity fund and a joint venture of Bank of Scotland. So at that, 
period of time we were buying larger asset classes like large retail parks um, but that you know we, we were when the sort of banking crisis and collapse um, we unfortunately um, we lost the portfolio I mean we the Bank of Scotland decided to sell uh, not only our portfolio but most of their other joint ventures um, to some of the American funds um, so all that hard work that we've done over the years was um, that the three-headed dog yeah, yeah. Um, and Cerberus, then that by that the way, for anyone who wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> Lone Star in my case. Oh, yeah. fine, right. Um, so I, I thought, you know, at that time, I thought I'm 50 years old, or around that era. Um, I thought, you know what, I want to go back to basic, go back to what I used to do, um, not overextend myself. It's a market I've knew, I knew well. I bought lots of sites, developed lots of um, convenience stores, um, and... I was quite interested in the drive-through market. Um, the the chap who basically started Metro Bank, um, his background in the states uh, was a number of drive-throughs, and you kind of look at the longevity. I mean, Burger King, McDonald's—they've all been around 50, mm-hmm. 60 years. Mm. Um, you know, I thought, is that a business that's recessionary-proof? And as I said, the reality is that when times are tough people cut their cloth accordingly mm-hmm. um, I mean you know we get a bit it's like we're in a bit of a bubble because there's a lot of people out there you know we, we go out if we want a meal we go out and have a meal three or four times a week if we wanted to a lot of people have to save up and they can only afford one meal a month so when the you know an economic hard time like now where people's mortgages have risen several you know several times in a short space you know people are finding it hard and um, you know L- London also is a it's a very different beast from the rest of the country. And mm-hmm. and again, so what we find is that things like if you've got Domino's or the pizzas, um, they thrive in recessionary times because it's a cheap meal for a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that would be an interesting market to get into. Um, you know, I'm, not, I'm a simple person. I just, I just run with gut instinct, really. Um, and again, I think the trade counter market is good. Um, that's generally stood well in the test of time. Through COVID, interestingly, um, it was a boom market because everybody was at home and suddenly decided that they want to spend money and do up their homes. So, um, you know, there was some, that was an interesting time. And as I said, we've now probably been through every recession that we can think <laughs> of. Um, we came through COVID. Uh, yes, at the time, we were sympathetic to tenants. We we're all in the same boat. You have to be realistic. And But we came through COVID and... Um, we worked with our tenants, we did some lease re-gears in exchange for rent, and we've come through it, and we're in a really good place, and you kind of think if we can get through, you know, a COVID scenario, yeah. <laughs> um, then we can probably get through anything. How do you stay up to date with, tre- like, do you follow trends, um, or, are, well, are you the trendsetter? Am I the trendsetter? <laughs> Maybe after this, you're going to be <laughs> loads of people competing against the short drive throughs I, I would love to say yes, but... Um, <laughs> We, I, I mean, I, I read a lot of property uh, information. I always, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I'd like You're to You're an avid listener of Tabu, yeah, your podcast. I, yeah, I find it interesting. But at the end of the day, I trust my own gut instinct. That's that's the reality. Um, but I've also got a sort of a diverse working life because I'm also uh, working with Tottenham Hotspur on some of the property regeneration around the stadium. Um, and that is a diverse sort of 
diverse from what I'm used to doing in my own business day to day. But it's very interesting work. It's very, very challenging work. Yeah. How did you get into um, that? Well, I, I was asked uh, by the chairman many years ago um, to try and assist on some of the land assembly on the new stadium, uh, which I was successful on, on doing. And then he asked me to stay on and do a few more property projects and matters, which I did. Um, when the stadium was built, um, that was that was the sort of the point where I finished my work for the club, and it was time to sort of move back to my own business and concentrate on that. Not that I was sort of you know, wasn't. Um, and about eighteen months ago, I was to asked to come back and um, and take up a, a similar role. Um, and, and again, how many times or chances in your life do you get to work on a major London regeneration project? Mm. And um, you know, I'm quite passionate about that because, again, it, you're making real change to an area there. Um, you know, major change. Mm. And, um, and what is that planning? Is that uh, planning? Um, I mean, it's it's literally putting together a whole sort of regeneration. So it's it's new homes. It's right. it's um, you know, not it's it's not just about you know providing new homes. You've got to have sort of commercial buildings alongside Amenities. it. Um, yeah, I mean we've I mean we've got the I mean one of the projects we've been working with Saraband, which is the McQueen Foundation. They're moving into two listed buildings next to the stadium in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, and again on the back of that, in the last few months, Spurs have been you know, had write-ups in vogue. It's a totally different market, mm. it's diverse. Um, we're working on taking forward the hotel now next to the stadium. Um, there's lots more going on, which is not in the public domain, which I can't mention. Mm, but Do you think it, it will start to, because I don't, still don't think Tottenham's been properly gentrified in terms of, as an area of London, it's still still very individual, the shops and the areas. Do you think it will start to gentrify the area a bit more? Well, ge gentrified is not a word we can use, of course. Um, no, I, th I think, it's not all about gentrifying an area. I mean, the reality is there. You, ha you have. What to I mean is more commercial in terms of just more commercialised the area, more restaurant chains that you'd see in certain other areas that have been started to be redeveloped a bit more. Yeah, it's it's getting the right mix. Um, yes, you will get, you know, various um, brands. I mean, Tottenham's a very eclectic area. It's um, diverse community. Um, it's not just all about providing new social housing and mm. sort of knocking down all the crap because there's a lot of crap council <laughs> housing and people shouldn't be living in some of the conditions that they are. Um, but the interesting thing with Tottenham, and again, we've got a chairman who has the vision and he's the legacy for him is changing an entire area. Mm -hmm. um, yes, football is the fundamental business of the club, but again, he's a visionary and... Working with Daniel, he's probably one of the hardest taskmasters. His attention to detail is incredible. <laughs> and that's why when you look at the stadium, it's the best stadium in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but he's also got the desire to change the area. Um, but getting the right mix, making it a major um, leisure destination for, for, for the UK, well, London and the UK. Um, and again, you know, when you look at, the um, proposed master plan, which Len Lease and the council have actually put into the public domain, it's not inspirational. All it is is providing some new social housing. Yeah. And that's, you know, wh when you've invested the, the money that Tottenham Hotspur have on the stadium and the infrastructure, mm -hmm. um, again, we can't stop there. We, we have to continue and make it, you know, 
really a great area to live and work in and mm. we believe we can do that yeah you don't want people just having that billion pound you know asset that only people come down to the area for once every two weeks call it for mm. nine months of the year i mean there's yeah. just a waste of waste of sort of uh, mm. opportunity for the area just having that yeah absolutely and i said it yes it's you know it's probably one of the few last remaining regeneration areas but it's we're trying to give the regeneration a sort of its own sort of something unique about it mm. not just replicating what hoxton or a borough has been mm-hmm. um and that's that's quite an interesting thing to to try and work on and do but yeah i you know if, if i went off and came back in 10 years time i think i would be quite amazed at the change mm. that will happen in the area um and yeah you know we've got a football business there but there's there will be so many more other things to come in that area so it's, it's very exciting um and Keep that makes up part of my working <laughs> week so while before we wrap up one last question what is the best tip you can give for people starting out in property the best tip is look at property as a good medium to long-term investment um don't expect very quick returns and just be patient because the market can go up and it can go down mm. but it's a great asset class it's a great pension play um, and generally over time you'll make very good returns perfect Brilliant. any more no no i think we covered everything darren thank you so much for joining us today Brilliant. and been very insightful very interesting and i'm looking forward to visiting tottenham soon not for the football stadium, <laughs> for another reason. For the, the, the go-karting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, thanks to all of our listeners. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, subscribe, share, you know, everything, comment, and I'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>